1: Welcome those uh join us online. It's great to have you uh, be a part of this. You can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm looking forward to this morning because uh, we're going we're gonna to discover two things that completely revolutionized my Christianity. My understanding of, of what, what it meant to be a Christian, how to live as a Christian. And, and the first one was, I, I grew up, I don't know if it was explicitly taught to me, but at the very least I grew up thinking that what God wanted me to be was a strong Christian and that that, that the onus and the effort was all going to come from me that I was to do my best to make him proud or more likely at least so that he doesn't regret saving me. And so that was sort of the bar that I was, I was striving for. And, And the second one was that the Christian life was really a series of rules a series of principles, uh, sort of like following a recipe. And if I followed all the right steps and I did all the right things and I was in the will of God, then the outcome of that would be good, that I would be, I would go well. Things would go well in my life. It'd be like driving down the road and every light's green and every turn is right. And And so it'd be simple. And that was the thinking. The corollary of that though, is that if things aren't going well, then you must have made a mistake. You must have chosen poorly, you must have not have trusted the principle or you didn't do things right or you didn't trust God enough and and now you're out of his will and so that would bring all kinds of of shame, all kinds of condemnation, all kinds of doubt on me thinking that what I've done is I've really mi- I've earned my misfortune. I've earned the struggle I'm going through. And so this morning hopefully we're going to kind of blow apart both of those ideas because they're not it's not true. It's not part of the Christian life at all. It's the, in fact, the opposite in both of those. And so hopefully we can blow apart those lies because those lies put us in bondage while the truth sets us free. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> this morning as we study one of, the, one of the great passages of this book, I pray that we hear from you because your words are life. Your words encourage us. Your words give us hope. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of here with a greater understanding of what it is that you're looking for from us and what can we expect from you, how we can walk with you and experience life with you. And so I'm excited about what you have in store for us, Lord Jesus, and we're gonna trust you as best we know how. May you be glorified as we praise your name. Amen. Well, this is our, our last time studying this section of scripture that has been called the fool's speech. And that's what some have called it. And it's kind of earned its name because uh, beginning around the middle of chapter 11 until uh, verse 10 of chapter 12, Paul has been doing something he's called foolish. In fact, many times is he, he's he gone out of his way to to make sure that we know that what he's doing is foolish. And what's the foolish thing that Paul's doing? What's he doing? What's the foolish thing? Boasting a little bit but but he's comparing himself. That's the foolish thing and and I find that so amazing because how many people this week compared themselves with others? Bunch of fools. <clears throat> Just kidding. But but that's the idea, that, it, that it's so foolish to compare yourself. And that's what he's doing. And so he's, he's going to compare. And he's doing that because that's what these Corinthians were doing. They were, they were being compared, or Paul was being compared against these false apostles. What he called these super shiny apostles. They weren't really apostles at all. And so he's, he's doing this comparison here. But what's interesting is normally when you compare, you compare strengths. Right? You think about in, in sports, you know, how many home runs? Well, let's, let's compare this guy who's got a lot and this guy who has less. Or in, in art, you know, in music, how many, how many records have you sold? Or how many albums have you released? And you're comparing things that you're successful at, things that you want to boast about. And yet what Paul's going to do is he's going to do the exact opposite. He says, I want to boast about what makes me weak. I want to boast about the struggles that I face. And he says that because when I boast about my weakness, it's in those weaknesses that God is most glorified. Remember we used the illustration last time about a guy holding a butter knife facing a bear versus the guy holding a big gun facing the bear, right? Who gets, who gets the most glory if both the guys kill the bear? Not the guy with the gun because of course he's got a big gun, but the guy with the butter knife that can't cut through like a McDonald's hot cake He's the guy that takes down the bear that shows his strength. And so you and I are that weak butter knife in the hands of a mighty God. And God's still able to provide victory through us. And that's how he gets his glory. And so he was comparing this this weakness and how that's where God gets his most glory. And then beginning in chapter 12, he started talking about visions he's experienced. But he didn't want the vision to be the, the thing that we focus in on but he talks about how he was caught up into the third heaven, paradise, right? First heaven being the atmosphere, second heaven being outer space. The third heaven is paradise where, where God reigns. The place that Jesus said to the thief that you will join me in paradise today because of his, his proclamation of faith on that, on that cross. And Paul saw things that he, he can't repeat, that, that words can't capture how great it is. But even if he could, he says, I'm not allowed to. He was prevented from sharing those things. And and we talked a little bit briefly. It was great hearing some people talking about heaven at Wanabond, And and if you think about it, Paul saw what awaits us. And he says, words words can't begin to describe how good it is. And the fact that Paul saw that and yet was still willing to spend his life, pour his entire life on on this earth, knowing what was coming, tells us a little bit how great it's going to be. And I don't know how how exactly it's going to look like on the new heaven and new earth and what we'll be able to do and powers and so forth but i know it's gonna be amazing but it made me think more about philippians 121 where paul says that that i'm torn for me to die is gain because i get to go be with jesus in paradise i get to experience all those things that i saw all those years ago but i'm willing to stay For me to live is Christ. For me to remain here, you're going to experience Christ in and through me. And that's to your advantage. So I'm willing to stay. But it it wasn't hypothetical for Paul. He knew exactly what he was turning down in order to stay. And so it's amazing to think that he got to see all that. But what's the danger with having that incredible revelation? It's pride. Right? It'd be easy now to win any kind of a dinner conversation when you're getting into a bit of a boasting match. Well, I've done this. Well, I've seen that. I went to the Grand Canyon. Well, I jumped out of an airplane. I've been to heaven. It's a bit of a mic drop moment, right? And so he could win any argument at any given moment, at any given time. And so there's a great danger of pride. And so... He goes on, and this is the reason he was sharing the vision. He wasn't boasting about the vision. He's going to boast about what came as a result of the vision. So it says to prevent me from boasting, from exalting myself. We saw that the only other time that word exalting is ever used in the New Testament is referring to the Antichrist when he tries to exalt himself as God. So Paul says, I could do the very thing the Antichrist is going to do. But to keep me from that... I was sent to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. We saw last time that the thorn is not clear. We don't know if it's a, if it's a physical ailment, if it's a bad back, bad eyes, migraines, uh, if he's bow-legged, if, if he's got Crohn's disease. We don't know what it was physically. We don't even know if it was emotional, if it was struggle with anxiety or depression or shame or, or whatever it was. And it's good that we don't know, we said because now we can all relate to it, even though we all have different issues, right? We don't wanna become the, the church of the bad lower back where that person's spiritual and everyone else is failing. No, it doesn't matter what your thorn is. It doesn't matter what your struggle is, it's okay. And then we also saw though that the thorn in the flesh while being a messenger of Satan was doing God's work, was doing God's will. It was for God's purpose in all this. And, and so that kind of creates a bit of a conundrum in our head. And we, we want to make it clear that God didn't cause the suffering because we do want to make sure that Satan gets credit for what he did. He's the source of that. And then the other word people use, well, then he allowed it, but that sort of takes God out of the equation. Sort of like he, he, he's no longer part of it. And we settle on the word purpose. But God had a purpose in Paul's suffering. And if God has a purpose in our suffering and what we're going through, we've hope now. Because we have a good God who loves us, who's faithful to us, who's always on our side, who's in complete control, is going to use what you're going through for your good. Just as he redeemed Calvary for our good, he can redeem what you're going through right now for our good as well and for his good. And that's why we have hope. Unfortunately, most times we don't understand. We don't know the reason for the suffering. And we try to figure it out, and, and maybe we do, and maybe we don't. Maybe you won't know on this side of eternity. In this passage, however, we do know. We know exactly why, why Paul was doing going through what he's going through. And so let's read together in 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 7. Paul writes, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there has given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. When I am weak, then I'm strong. In essence, the, the first part of what God says to Paul is, is my grace is sufficient. It's, it's all you need in this moment is my grace. Well, then we really need to understand what is God's grace, And there's many definitions out there. And I think often what we try to do is is we take things and we define it so we can put it in a box so that we can check off that we understand it when yet really we don't really understand it. Because grace is one of those things that is bigger than our minds could ever understand. It's infinite. And the best definition I've ever heard of grace is it's Jesus. It's Jesus personified. Right? It's, it's the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men in Titus 2. Jesus appeared. That's grace. But we come up with definitions such as unmerited favor. Meaning that the God's favor, God's blessing on you is not because you deserve it. Not because you've earned it. Not because you've achieved it. You don't unlock God's grace based on your performance. Or we have unconditional love or unconditional forgiveness. Unlimited love and unlimited forgiveness there's no end to all of that or there's the famous acrostic right where we take grace and we break it down using words from each uh, each letter god's riches at christ's expense right that that we get to be blessed with this inheritance with god's riches god's love his his forgiveness his acceptance because of what christ did on the cross Great illustrations, great examples of or definitions, but I don't know if it completely under, encapsulates it. So maybe what we need to think of is what is it not? right? Let's do it in comparison. And let's compare grace with the law. So the law was a system of performance. A law was a system where, based on what you did, you earned uh, a favor. You earned blessings. And conversely, you also earned the curses. That was the law system. Whereas grace isn't about you at all. You don't earn anything, blessing or curses. It's all about receiving what Jesus did for us. So if the law is an achieving system. When will you earn grace is you just receive it. You say, thank you. We receive it by grace, but by faith, sorry. But let's think for a moment. How, do, how does any of that help Paul with what he's going through? going through a struggle a desperate struggle one where he's prayed multiple times lord take it away and i don't think paul was the kind of person that just flew off a little flare of a prayer and just was like moving on i think when he talked about these three times of prayer they were heavy concerted times of prayer probably akin to when jesus was in the garden and he was praying and he was praying and he was praying lord take this struggle away and imagine hearing the response back was, it's okay, Paul, you're forgiven. It's okay, Paul, you have my unmerited favor on you. you okay? It's okay, Paul, because you're loved. I can imagine if that was the answer, Paul would say, well, th- thank you. <laughs> I-, I need forgiveness. Chief persecutor of the Church, I, I appreciate your love more than I can ever express that. I, I, I love that I have your, your favor unmerited and, and I, that's great, but it doesn't actually help me today. That doesn't help me with my thorn in any way. Put it this way, imagine, imagine you're unemployed and you're homeless and you're hungry and your spouse left you and your dog died so, you've written a country music song about all this, and you're going through all this pain and this sorrow, and the only thing God says to you, at least you're forgiven. You, 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 would, you would be at a loss. You, you would think that those words were cruel because they completely miss what, you're, what you need in that moment because you're struggling. And so, so grace, thankfully, is much more than just the unmerited favor. It's much more than the unconditional love and acceptance. See, we have to understand that, that grace really is God's power. Let me illustrate to you this way. Um, we have a few people in our fellowship that like to climb rocks and, and uh, they go to climbing gyms or climbing walls and, and you can climb up a rock. But then there's other people who like to descend into caverns. And, and depending on what you're doing, whether you're going up, ascending a rock face, or if you're descending down, you're going to want to use two different kinds of, of ropes. So one kind of rope is called a static rope. And it's a very stiff rope. It's, you know how they say you can't push with a rope? Well, with a static rope, you almost can. It's such a stiff, stiff rope that it's, it's a very, very, um, very strong, almost like a, a weak piece of steel in that sense. And what's the advantage of that is if you're descending down into a cavern, it doesn't actually change the length at all. Whereas there's another kind of rope called a dynamic rope. And a dynamic rope can actually stretch a little bit. It's far more flexible. It can add about 10% to the length depending on the load that's placed on it. And that's really good if you're climbing up a wall. Because see, if you ever lose your footing and you start to fall, that dynamic rope, which is sort of your safety rope, will allow a, a bit of a cushion as you start to reach the end of the ropes. So it slows the, the descent. That's a good thing. Whereas if you had a static rope and you were to fall, it would just be like hitting the, hitting the ground. It would be a, a very fast, abrupt halt. And that would cause some injury. But imagine now you use that dynamic rope and you go down into the cavern. And you're, you're just getting all the way to the bottom. It's just long enough. You can just feel the, the ground. You unclip. What happens to the rope? It would snap back up and now you're trapped. So different ropes for different purposes. And I think that's grace. That there's two sides to grace. There's a static kind of grace. The kind of grace that never changes. That's what static means. It's unchanging. That's his love. Let that sink in for a moment. God's love is not reactionary. Man's love is reactionary, but not God's. Because God already knows what's going to come. God already knows what's going to happen. He's already taken that all into account when he says, I choose to love you tomorrow. He's not reacting to you, what you do or don't do. He's not reacting to your successes or failures. It's unchanging, it's static. The forgiveness is static. His favor is static. His blessings is static. It doesn't change. But there's a dynamic grace that's changing based on the load, changing based on what you're going through. And this this other part of grace is what, the part that we haven't always well understood is this this enabling power of God's strength based on your situation. So whatever you're going through, his grace shows up. See, so remember what Paul says when he was writing what God said to him? God says, my grace is sufficient for power. Whose power? Well, it's Christ's power, he goes on to say in verse 10. And so really we could translate it as my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My grace is enough because my power is made perfect and your weakness. See, he's equating his grace with his power. We see this in other parts of scripture. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One book to the left. And beginning in verse nine, Paul says to them, he says, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I didn't deserve it, he saying." If anyone was going to deserve being an apostle, I'm the last guy on the list. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By that unmerited favor, by that static grace, I am what I am. And his grace, his unmerited favor, his static grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored. I worked. I worked harder than any of them, he says. Yet not I But the grace, the dynamic grace, the enabling power of Jesus Christ in me, Paul says, was with me. And so we see in that verse, we see these two kinds of grace right there. That there is that static, unmerited favor grace. And then there's this dynamic, whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with grace is in both of us. You see, that was so, so revolutionary to me. Because again, I thought it was me that I had to be the strong Christian. I thought it was my power trying to to execute what God was telling me to do. That he was sort of the coach up in heaven, calling down the plays and it was up to me now to do it. And then I would fail. And then it it occurred to me, then I learned in Galatians 2.20 that I had been crucified with Christ. The old me is dead and gone and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me that his enabling grace lives in me now. That his power is available in me and that he's not asking me to live the Christian life because there's only one person that can live the Christian life. And who's that? Jesus Christ. And so all he's asking is for me to trust him in the moment to allow his life to be expressed through me. And that's the choice that I face. Right, the, the, No longer I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in this body today, I live by faith. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Imagine, imagine I have a, a drill, an electric drill. And I want to I drill a hole. And I got a nice sharp drill bit in there. And I decide now to hold the drill. And I start to crank the drill bit with my hand. Some of you construction guys are laughing at me, thinking, well, go figure. He's an engineer, Right? <clears throat> Is this smart? Why not? Because it's one Ross power, right? It's me. I am the source. I am the strength. It is only as much power as I have. And yet, this electric drill has got way more power. All it needs is me to engage the switch. In engaging that switch, the electricity flows through the motor, the motor spinning, causing the drill bit to spin, and shoot. Down it goes. That's the Christian life. See, I have the choice to try to do it in my own strength. And I just kind of crank the drill bit. Okay, I'm going to love my spouse. I love my kids. I'm going to be patient. Or I can, by faith, Engage the trigger. By faith, engage Jesus and allow his love, his peace and his power to flow through me. And it's no longer up to me now. It's not my job to go and love people. It's my job to by faith, trust Jesus to do it through me. Think about this verse, Colossians 2.6. See, we've understood that for salvation. We know for salvation, I can't save myself. But we have to understand the same goes on for how I live. Colossians 2.6 says, for just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, how how did you and I receive him as Lord? Was it based on your hard work? Was it based on your effort, by your determination, by how much you struggled? No, you received Christ Jesus as Lord by grace through faith. So it says, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord by grace through faith, so continue to walk, so continue to live in him. How? By grace, through faith, by God's power, by his strength, being engaged by my faith, my trust in him in that moment. And so as we're doing that, we will experience what Paul is saying here, how his grace, God's grace is sufficient in the moment. The the word there translated is sufficient. The verb tense on that is the present tense, which means it is right now. I have uh, dear friends of mine, they, uh, they lost a young son while he was uh, in his 30s over in, uh, in Asia, dropped dead uh, instantly of an aneurysm. Every, every parent's nightmare. And he leaves behind a widow and a young family and they had to bring him back home. And I, I remember him telling me at the funeral, someone came up to him and they said, I'm sorry for your loss but I want you to know God's grace won't be sufficient for this. His grace is sufficient. See, the the friend was, was not trying to in any way defame God. He was just trying to remind my friend that you can only live in this moment. You can't worry about next tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. All you have is right now. And God's grace is not sufficient for tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. God's grace is sufficient for today. See, our problem for so many of us is that we're living in tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. And we don't have the grace for it. We don't have the strength or the power for it. And so we're struggling trying to to be a little God in that future. When God says, trust me right now, if that potential future comes to pass, It will be today, and you will find my grace is sufficient. So it's living in the moment. It's living in the the now, the present tense. This word sufficient is is really, the Greek word is "archeo," And it means that it's powerful enough to defend off. It's powerful enough to ward off. It's like a, a strong fortress. So whatever whatever trial whatever whatever uh, struggle you're going through, God's grace is powerful enough for it. Let me let me illustrate to you this way. Uh, for most of us, overnight, you know, we kind of power down a lot of electronics, and we we're not cooking, we're not we're not doing very much. So the the electrical meter starts to slow overnight. And then, then you kind of wake up and you, you start to, you know, turn on the coffee maker and you start cooking, you engage, you know, turn on the toaster, maybe the, the oven or the stovetop and, and, and you start to, you know, things start to happen. What happens to that meter? It starts to spin faster, right? And the reason is because you had a very little load overnight. And then in the morning, you start to engage a much bigger load. The demand increases. You see, that's, again, that's grace. It's it's changing based on the load. It's changing based on what you need. So for example, I didn't need grace as a parent until I was a parent. And the moment I became a parent, I needed grace for that. And I had one child grace. I had enough grace to look after Hannah. And then Zoe comes along. And suddenly now I have two-person Grace. We still got man-to-man defense, but it's two-person grace. Then Bella comes along and now we're switched to zone. And then Faith and Caleb and we got five kids. And people would ask, how do you do it? How how is this possible? I remember one time uh, Joy was visiting her parents back home in Columbia and and I took all five kids to Costco and I had one on the back, two in the cart and and two others hanging off on the side. (laughs) How did you do it? They would say, what's the answer? Not I, but Christ right? God gave me the grace to do it. Now I don't have the grace to look after five little kids anymore because I don't have five little kids anymore. They're getting older. They're getting bigger. And so now I have teenage grace. Oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> right? And soon I'm going to have four teenage grace in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Lord, that I will have the grace for that because it's changing based on the circumstance. Some of you are battling illnesses, some small, some big. We think about Joe who's, who's fighting cancer and it's coming to an end soon. And she has the grace not only to deal with the illness, but even the grace to face her imminent death. And you might think, I, I couldn't have the peace that she's got. Oh, and you should see the peace. It's incredible. But it's Christ in her. She didn't have that peace two years ago because she didn't need it. But today she does. And today she has it. Then there's the grace for a tough boss. Am I right, Austin? Right? A difficult boss to work with. And then there's the grace for a difficult employee. Right, John? Works both ways. There's grace for strained relationships. There's grace for disappointments. There's grace for whatever you're facing. No matter what it is, God's grace won't be sufficient. God's grace, his enabling power in the moment is sufficient. So the question is, well, then how come I don't see it more? I mean, if that's true, well, where's the power? Like, what am I missing? Because my life is so difficult still. And I think that's the second thing that we need to understand that when Paul recites what God says to him, remember he says, my grace, my power is sufficient because my grace, my power is made perfect in your weakness it's the opposite of what we typically think it's not it's not that that suddenly you get you know become superman and you know you're or you're like you know captain america you get this drug inside you and suddenly now i'm big and strong and indestructible no it's actually it's made perfect in your weakness see that's one of the things that we have to understand is you learn to trust you learn and part of the learning is discovering that I can't trust in my own abilities because my own abilities can't do it, can't cut it. have to discover how weak I am. Remember Peter? Not this Peter, Apostle Peter. Remember his boasting? Lord, I will never betray you. These other guys, they they would turn on you in a heartbeat, but not me, not me. I'm with you to the end. I will fight and die for you. What did Jesus say? for the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times. And he did. To little old ladies, they were terrifying. Completely denied having any, any connection to Jesus. What did Peter have to discover? I can't. That my spirit may be willing, but my flesh, my ability is very, very weak. And Peter had to discover that it can't be me. It's got to be Christ in me. And he learned that in weakness. And Paul learned that in weakness. And Moses and and Abraham and Gideon and David, every, every great man and woman in scripture learned that when they were weak, that's when God was most strong. And so what's Paul's response to this? Read the second half of verse nine. Paul hearing that, that God says, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul says, most gladly. Therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Most gladly, with pleasure, with, with gladness, with excitement. He's celebrating this. He says, I want to boast. I don't want to hide it. I want to I celebrate and boast about this about my weakness, my lack of strength, my infirmity, what I'm lacking, my inability. So that, purpose clause, here's the reason that Christ's power, that word power in Greek is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite from, this explosive Holy Spirit powered It's like the dunamis would come upon people and they were healed, They would, the dead would rise. That's the kind of power we're speaking of. And he says, I want to boast about this so that the power of Christ, his dunamis power, his miracle-working power may dwell in me. The word de- dwell there is episkino. And it's, it's really two words in the Greek. And it means to tent with, to dwell with. Sort of what we did at Wanabon last week, right? We were, we were tenting together. Well, most of you were trailering together. Some of us, some of us were tenting still, but, but we were doing it together. Well, that's this idea here of Episcino is that God says, I want to dwell. I want to tent with you. The New Testament word might be abide or rest. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. One of the most famous verses in the Old Testament. You'll see it often in Christian artwork because of its power and what it's conveying to us. But Isaiah 40, I want to begin in verse 30. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. I, I, see, I, see my, I see Caleb just run everywhere. I see kids run everywhere and I'm getting out of breath just watching them now. Because as a little kid, like they just seem to have this endless supply of energy until they don't. Even they run out of strength. And that's what Isaiah here is speaking of. Even, even young grow tired, even the young grow weary. But those who wait upon the Lord will gain or, or some translations say renew their strength. Literally, the word there for, for, that's translated gain or renew is exchange. It's trade in. It's like I could go and fix my car up and spend thousands of dollars fixing it up. But at the end of the day, it's still my old car. Or I could go trade it in and get a, a new car, a different car. That's an exchange there. And you see, that's what God's done with us. He isn't renewing your strength He's not saying you've given a holy mulligan. You've been forgiven. Now go try harder. Go do better this time. He says, I'm going to take your, in, your finite weak strength and I'm going to exchange it for my infinite strength, my infinite power. That's the exchange that happens. And it's those, it happens to those who wait. That's that word dwell, or literally what it says means to break. Think about, it, you know, when, when, when people braid their hair together or, or you braid a rope together, what you're doing is you're, you're strengthening everything because you're taking the power of it all, binding it together. Well, imagine I had one little piece of thread. How much strength is in that one little piece of thread? Not very much, right? I could, I could probably even break it just by pulling on. But imagine now I braid it, I bind it to a steel cable. Well, how much strength can that thread now carry? All the strength that cable can carry because they're bound together now. You see, that's what God's done. You and I are the thread. We're so weak. We're so limited. And it's okay because you're supposed to be limited. God's not looking for you to be a strong Christian. He says, will you bind yourself to me and let me be the strong one and you can be the weak one and allow my strength now to show up in that moment. Now, what happens in this moment is, is you don't suddenly become really strong and powerful, like I said earlier, but neither neither is he just dishing out little piecemeal, little bits of what you need. Because you see, really what he's done is he isn't just giving you a little bit of peace, a little bit of patience. He's given you Jesus. Think about how often we say, Lord, give me patience. Lord, give me peace. Give me comfort. And I don't think God's going to give you any more peace, patience, or comfort than he's already given you. See, in Ephesians 1, verse 3, he says, you've already been blessed with every spiritual blessings. There's no more to come. That's the bad news. Want to know the good news? You don't need any more because he's given you everything in the person of Jesus Christ. So he doesn't give you peace, he gives you Jesus, who is your peace. In, in First Peter chapter, uh, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, it says that, that you and I are partakers of his divine nature. And because we're partakers of his divine nature, we have everything we need for life and godliness. What does that mean? It means if you want more peace in your life, look to the peaceful one. If you want more patience in your life, look to the patient one. If you want more strength in your life, look to the strong one. If you want more kindness in your life, look to the kind one. If you're wishing there was more gentleness in your life, look to the gentle one. If you wanted more wisdom in your life, look to the wise one. If you want more victory in your life, look to the victorious one. Whatever it is that you and I are needing. Want more confidence? Look to the confident one. Want more security? Look to the secure one. It's found in Jesus. And it's so much simpler this way. Isn't that what Paul began in this, in chapter 11? The, the whole full speech was, was he opened it up. He says, I'm worried that you're going to get loose sight of the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. Look to him because he's your power. He's your grace. He's everything you need in this moment. Well, what should be our response then? Let's go back to what Paul says. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, when I am weak, then I am strong. Says, I'm well content. I wrote in my Bible beside that, can you say that? See, when I when I see a weakness in myself, I, I try to mitigate it. I try to limit it. I try to hide it. I try to work around it. I try to get rid of it, essentially. And Paul's saying, I celebrate. I'm content, I'm okay with it. I accept it, I embrace it because I recognize my lack of patience, my lack of peace, my lack of love, my lack of wisdom, my lack of maturity, my lack of strength, whatever I need pushes me to trust Jesus. And Christ in me is enough. Christ to me is all I need in that moment. And so he embraced his struggles. I don't really know how to close it in any other way to this morning. And I, I promise you that what I'm about to say doesn't sell many books. It's not going to be super encouraging. But I, I love um, reading or watching about special forces. You know, the, the Delta Force or the um, SEAL teams the, the, in Canada, the, the Joint Task Force. In in England, the, the original special forces, the SAS, the special air service. And I love reading about their training and what they're going through. And, and I remember, one, I've heard it multiple times actually from different people from different services. They've all said the same thing. They said, it's not the big strong guy that gets through often. You would expect that right? The big muscular guy who could do 200 push-ups on one hand while he's signing with the offhand. Like that's the guy that, wow, that guy's super strong. Like, of course. Yeah. Give him, give him the big gun. He's going to be the guy. They said, no, that, that guy often fails. It's not about how strong you are. It's not about how powerful you are. They say that the guy who gets through all that training is the guy who doesn't quit. Because if you can do 200 pushups with one hand while signing with your offhand, they make you do 205. The whole point is to make you fail. And then what? You see, the strong people, when they fail, they quit. But the people who have a, a deeper resolve within them, who just never quit. In our family, we've kind of described it this way, that when we're going through these difficult times, we say embrace the misery. Embrace the struggle. And I know that doesn't sound very comforting because it doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't eliminate the, the, the hurt. It doesn't take away the thorn. But what we're doing in that moment by embracing the struggle, we're recognizing, Lord Jesus, I need you right now. And I'm not gonna quit. I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna instead trust you to get me through it. And in that moment, you are both weak and strong at the same time. You see, you can have both at the same time where you're feeling overwhelmed and inadequate and incapable and at the same time be tapped into a strength and a power that's flowing through you and people are experiencing Jesus in that moment. And so we can boast, we can be content, we can embrace our weaknesses in order that Christ can be strong through us. So if you're going through a struggle, you're right where you're supposed to be. You haven't failed anyway. Even if your failure led to the struggle, it's okay. God's grace is sufficient. Remember the static grace, you're forgiven, you're loved. And he's going to turn it and purpose it for your good. And now his dynamic grace will get you through it. All he's saying is, trust me, pull the trigger of faith and trust me in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have not been abandoned to try to figure out life on our own, nor have we been abandoned as an orphan to try to do it on our own. As you said to your beloved disciples, you weren't going to leave them as orphans. You weren't going to leave them alone. You, you promised them another, one of the same kind as you, the Holy Spirit, who has now taken up permanent residence, joined himself, tenting with us. And you ask now in the moment, present tense, to abide in you, to abide in his power, your power, your father's power in us today. And I pray, Lord, that we would embrace those weaknesses, those limitations, those struggles, celebrating what you're doing through us instead. In your name we pray, amen.
0: You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.